Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. So much to do, not enough time. Not enough time. I've got some tremendous guests. We have a trifecta today, which we almost never have. Rudy Giuliani in the first hour, Dr. Bill Bennett in the second hour, Congressman Chip Roy in the third hour. And they all have something very, very important that I want to uh, discuss with them. But let me get started now. You know, this Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of England, must be very, very ill. Because the president had announced uh, that we have some really spectacular therapies that look like they're, they're going to be online relatively soon. And he has sent representatives of those companies to go over there and see if uh, they can help Prime Minister Johnson, who's in intensive care. Uh, so he must be in pretty bad shape. That's very, very sad. And... Um, I do not understand this debate over chloroquine in the least. And the viciousness with which the president is attacked. First of all, it requires a prescription. It's not over the counter. So in order to get the drug, you need a prescription. So you need to have, in most cases, a doctor prescribe it. Like a doctor prescribes anything else. Now the Food and Drug Administration has allowed doctors to prescribe this for the coronavirus. The federal government has produced 30 million pills. That is, it has acquired 30 million pills. In addition to all the other pills that are already out there, it's thought that there's over 60 million Small company in Israel has donated 6 million pills. This is a drug that's been around since 1946. Now, I really don't understand this controversy because it's not a controversy. CNN, MSNBC, the news networks are trying to turn this into a controversy. And they are despicable, particularly at a time like this. Do you trust your doctor? I don't know. When it comes to the left, they say the decision about aborting a baby is between a woman and her doctor. And we know how that's going to turn out for the baby. Not very well. And yet somehow, morally, and ethically, our society, the medical profession, thinks that's okay. As long as your doctor says it's okay, it's okay. And you know what else? You don't even really need a doctor. You can go into abortion clinic. It's just a choice. 
Now, this issue of chloroquine is not controversial. You can decide if you want to discuss it with your doctor. Your doctor can decide if it's, if it's something that he or she wants to discuss with you. And why not? If you want to try it, if you think it's going to work, why not? It doesn't violate the Hippocratic Oath. The FDA is filled with all kinds of doctors. And then you have your doctor. So what exactly does it violate? You've got to get a prescription. It has to be written by your doctor or a doctor. It's not over the counter. It's not handed out like, you know, chiclets. So what's the controversy? If there's people out there for religious reasons or liberal reasons or I hate Trump reasons who don't believe in it, then don't use it. Then don't use it. Don't ask for it. As a matter of fact, I think every reporter in the country, every editor, every producer at CNN and MSNBC and all the big networks, all the editors, managing editors at our newspaper should say, I and my family members and my closest friends and colleagues are never, ever, ever going to ask our doctors if, in fact, we should use chloroquine. And we're never going to use it, period. Then go ahead and say it. We're not going to use it till all the testing is done. Fine. Then don't. But don't get between us and our doctor on matters that affect our bodies. Not somebody else's body, mind you, our own bodies. Now, I'm going to tell you another little secret. People are going to die from this virus no matter what. If every hospital had every bed that it demands, if every hospital had every ventilator that it demands, every N95 mask, gloves, gowns, if our hospitals were teeming, with an excess in supplies and equipment and doctors and nurses, people still die. And people are still going to die. And not just from this virus. From cancer, from heart disease, from diabetes, from car accidents, from gunshots and knives, and on and on and on. People are going to die in this country no matter how superb our healthcare system is. And this needs to be understood, even though it's rather obvious and simple, because there seems to be a connection being made in the political media, and that's what all the media are these days, that people are dying because they don't have beds or ventilators or whatever. The fact is, today as I speak, Hospital beds, ventilators, respirators are being provided to every, virtually every individual who has this virus who needs them. You now have California giving back 500 ventilators. You have the state of Oregon giving back 400 ventilators. Giving them to other states. How did that happen? I just want to make some of this clear. I read somewhere that approximately, give or take, 7,000 people die every day in this country from a thousand different 
causes a day. A day. And they die without the charts and without the 24-7 coverage. Sean Davis is a brilliant fellow. He's one of the founders of the excellent website, The Federalist. And he and John Solomon over at his site, Just the News, among others, have taken a look at the modeling just a few days ago that's being used by Dr. Burks. Now, Dr. Burks is there because she's the modeler. She's the expert on modeling and data and so forth. And he writes on his tweet that they're, uh, when you look at the model and you look at the data they're using, they're using the data that's coming out of New York and New Jersey. They're using the data that's coming out of New York and New Jersey and applying it to every state and then and obviously nationally. And he says, if you look at every state where predictions are being made by the CDC, they're way off. They're way off in terms of hospitalization, as an example. He says, the model for the Wuhan uh, coronavirus that the White House is relying on, he says, is garbage. It's using New York, New Jersey data, applying it to the rest of the United States. It predicted that over 121,000 Americans would be hospitalized yesterday. This is written now, I believe, April 2nd. Over the coronavirus. The actual number, 31,142. That's a big spread. So he says, let's look at some of the state data. The model predicted that 1,716 people in Texas would have been hospitalized yesterday due to the virus. The actual number, 196. In Georgia, the model predicted that as of yesterday, 2,777 people would have been hospitalized by the coronavirus. The actual number, 952. Virginia, the model said 670. Actual, 305. Tennessee, the model said 2,214. Actual number, 200. New York, excuse me, folks, the model predicted 50,962, the actual number, 18,368. And all the projections can be found at covid19.healthdata.org slash projections. He says, if we're going to shut down the entire nation's economy to flatten the curve based on the projections of a single model, It shouldn't be too much to ask that the model approximate reality when it comes to hospitalizations. He's saying it's bad data. And that's pretty much what the brilliant professor, doctor from Stanford said, that the data is not right. And nobody's saying that this is intentional or vicious or anything of the sort. What they're saying is, the data is not right. And so now you see ventilators being returned and other things being shared with other states by states that turned out not to need them. 
And yet we find what has to be one of the most vile pieces of phony journalism I've seen in my lifetime, and that includes during the Trump presidency. And it comes from the Associated Press, which every major and even middle-sized and many small and regional papers get, every television news operation gets, because it's a wire service, and they run with it. And when we return, I want to discuss this with you, how the media in our country, how the media in our country, not a medical virus, but a societal virus on the body politic that every day is undermining this great nation. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the media do not have the issues that concern you at the forefront of their reporting. They keep coming to the defense of this captain who was removed and who unfortunately has the virus. And yet people who heard his diatribe to his men and women on that boat, on the USS Theodore Roosevelt, are shocked at some of the things he had to say, the way he said it, the way he leaked it to the media. And you simply cannot have commanders who conduct themselves that way. But the, the media go for the gaps. They go for the differences. They, they take the cracks and they want to create canyons. And so he was the subject of numerous Sunday shows. Just like the subject of whether or not we should be able to use chloroquine in the president who's not a doctor. Tell me, is Andrew Cuomo a doctor? When he said that you can only get it from a doctor in a hospital? Well, what's the difference between a doctor in a hospital and a doctor who's not in the hospital in terms of prescribing this kind of medicine? If they're qualified, they're qualified. They don't have to be in a hospital. That just makes it very, very difficult for somebody to have access to it if they and their doctor believe they want to try it. Now, I want to explain something. When this is all said and done, and not 100%, but all said and done enough, we're going to look at how the media historically has, has dealt with this, trying to look for reasons to attack the people who are trying to fix this and address this, including the president, 
We're going to look at the demands for nationalizing our industries. We're going to look at the demands for having a national stay-at-home edict from a president of the United States coming out of media figures. We're going to to look at all the fascistic demands of the media, of the left, of the Democrats, certain fascistic conduct, particularly among liberal Democrat governors that are beyond belief. And we're going to have to fix this. Because we not only have a country with some very sick people in it, we now have a country that is trying to institutionalize the fundamental transformation of a constitutional republic to something else. When's the last time any of these news people on cable or their guests from the New York Times or the Washington Post spoke about civil liberties? When's the last time? When's the first time? When's the first time they explained federalism? That it's the governors under our Constitution, under our traditions, under our practices that are responsible for the hospitals in their states. That it's the governors that have taken control from the private sector, from these private hospitals, decision-making about their equipment, their beds, qualifications for doctors, and all the rest. As we pointed out here the other day, FEMA didn't even come into existence until 1979. Until 1979. Governors had opportunities to acquire ventilators almost to a man and a woman. They chose not to. Governors had opportunities to expand their hospitals and the number of beds and hospitals and ICU units. They've chosen not to. Governors can have a lot of say in how many doctors there will be certified and qualified in their states. And we're going to have a shortage of doctors. What are they doing about it? Absolutely nothing. I've talked to you before about this electromagnetic issue, which will make this look like a walk in the park. Horrific, over 10,000 people dead. But an electric uh, magnetic issue, shutting down our entire electrical grid will affect every corner of this country. And you're not going to be able to eat. You're not going to have clean water. You're not going to have electricity. You won't be able to communicate. There will be no internet. And what are the governors, and what's the federal government doing about it? Exactly nothing. When we come back, Rudy Giuliani. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics 
are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Speaking to the four out of five Americans who are literate at 877-381-3811. Rudy Giuliani, how are you, sir? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I I, want to uh, ask you a question. You've been focused on this uh, hydroxychloroquine. Right. Many of us have, but you in particular. And I, I, I'm really confused about the controversy here because I don't think there is any controversy. I, I, I think the media, you know, if media members don't ever want to use this medicine, Rudy, if they don't want to talk to their doctor, doctors have to prescribe it, then fine, screw them. But the rest of us and other people may want to use it. What the hell's the problem? The problem is that President Trump mentioned it and they politicized it. Had he never mentioned it, there'd be no problem at all. This is a very typical off-label use that doctors do all the time. And they do it with other drugs, right? I mean, some people have cancer. They may try other drugs. As long as you're consulting a a reputable doctor, they can prescribe these things. They've already been approved for other things. Three three days before he mentioned it, I called the doctor and asked him, what are you using for this? He was at Mount Sinai Hospital. He said, we use this hydroxy... Uh, chloroquine, and we use uh, Zithromat, like the Z-Pack. Yep. And he said, but the guy that really knows the most about it is this guy, Zelenko. He said he's a, he serves the Hasidic community, and he's doing a big test. And there's a big test being done in France, and we're all waiting for the results of it. He said, call him. He'll tell you everything about it. So I called Zelenko. He took me through the whole thing. He sent me four studies. <laughs> two of them were in Chinese. So I don't know How's your Chinese? Really understood those. Yes. Two, two of them were in Chinese. But the one in French, I could read, and it basically, it basically said that the medicine was about 95% effective and that it had no side effects because you only use it five times. The only side effects that ever show up is when you use it for chronic illness, like 40 or 50 times. And we've been using it for 20 years. So it was a no-brainer. It was a basic no-brainer. And it's not over-the-counter. You still need a doctor to prescribe it, right? Of course. You go to your doctor, you prescribe it. Cuomo banned it in New York, and they, they prescribe it at every single hospital in the city. Right, today, right now, it's being prescribed by doctors at New York Hospital, at Langone, at Mount Sinai, they just completely ignore it. Rudy, what, you know, the, the press has really uh, taken you through the uh, sausage grinder in the last year or so. <laughs> uh, and, and, you, and you sit there, you watch these press releases with the president. They don't even seem to want to talk about what concerns the American people. It's always gotcha, you said three weeks ago. The president is relying on what his doctors and scientists are telling him. And they haven't been, you know, they've been moving around with the data and so forth and so on. And then there's articles attacking the president of the United States. I don't think, and you and I served in the Reagan administration together, I don't think we've ever seen a media I'm like never, this. I, I, have, I never would have imagined this. And each one makes me, like I, I said to myself, I can't imagine anything worse. Like when I went through the impeachment, I can't imagine anything worse. And then when we went through that crazy 
thing with the Ukraine. Now they're fighting over a medicine, over a medicine that helps people. It's, it's just completely nuts. A lot of doctors, and I've talked now probably, I've talked to 30, 35 doctors, have told me to thank him for taking on the tyranny of the FDA. They said a lot of, I said a lot of us would, would prescribe this, but a lot of us would be afraid to prescribe it because who knows what the FDA would do to us. They told me to tell him he's going to save a lot of lives as a result of this. And nobody will believe this, but we came to the conclusion independently. Mm-hmm. I figured it out two days before, never talked to him about it. And then I hear him talking about that and Remdesivir. And I called him and I said, where did you get it from? And he described it to me. And we got it from two different sources. Mm-hmm. Now, here's, here's, here's the other thing. You were mayor for some time, an enormously successful mayor. Does the president of the United States, even when you were mayor, is he in charge of the number of beds and ventilators that you have in your hospitals? No. no. My, my, my girlfriend runs a hospital and in, in New Hampshire, and we just had this conversation, and she's livid. She said, I don't understand this. I was responsible for having the equipment in my hospital. I had to have the mass. I had to have the... The state isn't even responsible for the hospitals responsible for it. And in a city like New York, where we own 17 hospitals, New York City is the owner of a, of, a, of a big hospital system. We, I never expected the federal government to supply my equipment. They wouldn't know what I needed in New York City. I supplied the equipment. I didn't have enough of it. Well, I didn't have enough of it. When anthrax, when anthrax happened to New York City, we had anticipated anthrax, and we had millions of doses of antibiotics ready. And you know, it, it turns out, Mr. Mayor, uh, you're probably familiar with this by now, that the governor had many opportunities to prioritize the purchase of ventilators. And he chose to buy solar panels. I mean, this isn't, I mean, I mean, and I don't even hear reporters in Albany even asking them questions about this. Yeah, but what? the president of the United States doesn't sit there and figure out how many ventilators should be in a hospital. That, that is his job. The hospital administrator begins with that, and the city or state regulates it. But the federal government doesn't regulate it. You know, do, do you have enough thermometers in the hospital? What, what, do you, what do you make of Democrats saying... He should be nationalizing these companies, uh, that there ought to be a national stay-at-home. I mean, three-fourths of the nation is, is right now it's not affected by this. There are certain areas that are heavily affected by this. I mean, he's rationally making decisions, and governors, theoretically, rationally are making decisions about their own states. And so I don't think the president has the constitutional do- authority to do it. I mean, even Lincoln didn't do stuff like that. That said, why would he do that? I, d- I don't see why he would do that, I think. And also... The conditions, I mean, it's a perfect example of why our federal system operates so well. The conditions in New York are totally different than the conditions in Omaha, Nebraska. I mean, we're facing, we're facing different numbers, different problems, different densities of population. We have different medical uh, strengths and weaknesses. There's no, there's no one-size-fits-all for the entire country. We're too complicated a country, which is what our framers realized, and that's why they created a... a, a the kind of federal system we had that works so well. We have I mean, flexibility. We have flexibility in our system that 
uh, this this country never would have worked if we didn't have that flexibility. It's so big and complicated. And why do the people think that? Here's the thing about the schizophrenic media on the left. They want centralized decision-making, and yet they attack the decision-making. So, I mean, more and more centralized decision-making means you have less and less information to make decisions for actual hospitals, right? Right. Well, they they attack centralized decision-making when it's not them making the centralized decisions. Right. When they're in charge, then everything is perfect and absolutely no criticisms, even if, uh, you know, somebody's sleeping during an emergency. You know, it's amazing. Uh, the president and his team, they've built these temporary hospitals almost overnight. They've got ventilators coming in. You're now California sharing extra ventilators, 500 of them. You have Oregon turning in 400 of them. Uh, you have the Army Corps of Engineers, the United States military, the Navy, the Marine, everybody working overtime. And I have to pick up this damn Associated Press piece, U.S. wasted months before preparing for virus pandemic. What the hell are they talking about? The doctors weren't even sure what this was. You had Fauci at the end of January saying this is like the flu. What in the world did they expect the president to do? Wake up at the end of January and say everybody wear masks, everybody get gloves, everybody stay home? It is a perfect indication that the whole purpose of the media is to make sure he doesn't get reelected. They take a look at it. They take a look at a crisis like this. They see public approval largely in his favor. If they don't criticize him, public approval will go through the roof. So I think they're just trying to hold down public approval so he doesn't get uh, uh, reelected. And many of the media outlets, Rudy Giuliani, have said and will not cover his press conference or most of his press conference. Isn't that censorship? And they they cover Cuomo. Yeah, my God. Talking about a single state and telling us about his family. Basically, you know, it's like a soap opera during the day. He tells us about his daughters and his brother being ill and what his father would think of it and his mother. He's worried about his mother. It's kind of interesting, but... (laughs) And nobody interrupts him. And uh, Except me, I I shut it the hell off. I think he's doing a pretty good job. I have some disagreements with him, like I'm banning the medicine. I think it's ridiculous. But from what I expected, he's doing a much better job than I thought. He's doing a lot better job than uh, de Blasio. They cover him him for one state, and they don't cover the president. Yeah, but I get a little tired of him saying, we need more of this, we need more of that. I know you do. I know you do, Mr. Mr. Governor. But... You have some responsibilities on your own. This is what federalism is all about. And, you know, you've got to prioritize. This is a lesson to all these governors, don't you think, Rudy Giuliani? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's a question of how well prepared were they. A, um, an emergency has to be handled at the local level. I mean, even though, the, even though it affects the entire country, it affects each one of these local areas differently totally different effect in one place or another, larger number of cases, different kinds of cases. We have different strengths and weaknesses. You couldn't possibly have one national response to this. What is it like, I just want to ask you this question, for a period there to wake up every morning and to be under vicious attack, people want to really rip you from limb to limb and destroy your life. What is that like? It's not pleasant. You know, it's not pleasant, particularly... If you've been a lawyer all your life and your reputation is the thing you value the most, and honesty and integrity. And, I mean, they're looking constantly for something you did wrong. And I didn't. But today I was asked, do I own any stock 
in any of the companies that make hydroxy or oh, yeah. or and have I represented any of those companies? It's like I, I couldn't possibly be doing this. I couldn't possibly be doing this because I think it's right. I, I must be doing. Well, it turns out I don't. But I, every every single thing is turned into. Or when I was going through the Ukraine thing, that I had big financial holdings in Ukraine. I have no financial holdings in Ukraine. Zero, none. <laughs> they would just write it. But you know what? We did learn something today about you. You have a girlfriend. Congratulations. I do. She's wonderful. She's a, she's a doctor, and she runs a great hospital in New Hampshire. And she's working 24-7, saving people. All right. And by the way, yes, she, sir. She, she was able to stockpile enough masks and ventilators, and she gave them out to other hospitals. Uh, but you uh, see that? That's I, I the point. Tell you she's a, I don't have to tell you she's a Trump supporter and a Republican. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, I want to thank you, my friend. And uh, keep well, speaking you. out there. And, God and, bless uh, you. you. And God bless you. Thank you. Uh, all right. Take care of yourself. It's Rudy Giuliani. Have I ever had Rudy Giuliani on this program? I don't think I have. Maybe once many, many years ago. We'll be right back. Mud Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home. On demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You know, it's amazing sickening as well to watch these reporters whether it's the Sunday hosts for the most part or at these White House briefings ask questions of the president and other officials that the Democrats raise why don't we have a national shutdown the Democrats are pushing for it so that becomes the issue why should we have hydroxychloroquine without long period of tests and so forth, even though doctors can prescribe things and so forth. So they ask the question, because the Democrats ask the question. Why don't we have a czar? Democrats love czars. Remember Obama had a czar for everything? Why don't we have a czar in charge, even though the military has a major role in everything that's taking place right now? And so the president and the vice president asked, why don't you have a czar like Chuck Schumer recommends? Now, Chuck Schumer's never run anything but his mouth. Never managed a damn thing in his life. Got out of law school and was elected to office. So all the generals, 
All the experts, the president's supposed to listen to the experts, except, of course, when the reporters are regurgitating Democrat talking points, then he's supposed to listen to them. You know, I love our president. I admire him enormously. I think he's going to try and open up the economy, but I also think he's going to continue with massive deficit spending, if I heard him correctly today. This is a huge, huge mistake for future generations. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. New York has discharged more people who had the coronavirus than people are coming in newly with the coronavirus over the last four days. I wanted you to be aware of that. I am Mark Levin, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I have done my damn level best to argue that we need to open up big chunks of this economy that we need to consult with businesses, large, medium, and small, to see what they can do to help mitigate this virus while they open. We know it can be done. We've seen it done. I am pleased to say backbenchers on TV and radio have regurgitated this. Uh, I also see that the White House is, I think the president's trying to embrace this, but he's already under attack. Uh, I've also been on another track here, trying to dissuade the administration, the president, the Republicans in Congress, and anyone who will listen, from another massive federal spending bill. As it is under the first bill, things will change America forever. Because I've come to learn that once freedom is lost, it's very, very difficult to get it back. The Federal Reserve has $4.5 trillion now to make loans through banks, directly, however they wish to. So we now have the federal government has effectively nationalized the private capital market. I don't know if Larry Kudlow knows that they did that. I don't know if these Republican senators and congressmen who voted for it know that they did that, but that's what they did. And their answer seems to be, well, you know, there's all these checks and balances in place. Uh, No, there's not. Not enough, that's for sure. So the Federal Reserve now has really monopoly control over the capital market, which is something that has never happened before in American history. So what we're seeing is panicking going on. Direct federal payments to individuals. That's new. That's new. 100% up to $1,100 a week to cover all salary that you may have lost as a result of whatever. That's new. Plus $600 on top. That's new. Whether you're unemployed or not, that's new. Excuse me. The government taking ownership positions in things like airlines. Disaster. That took place. That's new. 
Now, everything that's been done in this bill that all Republicans seem to support in Washington, D.C., whether they're in the administration or in Congress, all those things set precedent. They lay a foundation for the Democrats. Things that we never thought we'd ever see happen. There was no need to take an equity position in airlines. There was no need to pay people 100% over a four-month period. There was no need to give the Federal Reserve monopoly control over the private capital markets. But they did it. Now they want a $2 trillion infrastructure program. We've had many so-called infrastructure programs, ladies and gentlemen. If you come into the Washington, D.C. area, once you're free to travel again like an American citizen, you'll see endless infrastructure programs. A metro system that never has enough money for maintenance has massively expand, uh, expanded. Dulles Airport massively expanded just a few years ago. They're still working on modernizing Reagan National Airport. The roads and highways and byways all around the Washington, D.C. area. They're being hardened, expanded, overpasses, built on and on and on and on. The developers are thrilled. There's a lot of infrastructure spending going on in this country. Tons of it. And what we've learned from in the past is, in virtually every case, there are cost overruns. Right, Boston? Boston knows about their little tunnel. California knows about their little train system that they had to stop. Almost none of them come in under budget. And people, well, it's different. Donald Trump's a developer. Donald Trump won't be building them any more than he'll be handing out ventilators in individual hospitals. This is money that mostly goes to the states and localities. I'll give you an example. Whatever happened to that settlement money, hundreds of billions of dollars from the cigarette companies? Do you know, Mr. Producer? It's all gone. Whatever happened to that? Did they buy ventilators in New York with it? No, they didn't. Did they buy beds in Chicago with it? No, they didn't. What'd they do with it? Nobody knows. It's gone. As if government makes these great decisions. And so what happens is conservatives start sounding like liberals. Well, we have bridges that need to be worked on and tunnels and highways and byways. And, uh, because everybody thinks that there's too much traffic and they don't like potholes. Well, that's all well and good, but even after they spend $2 trillion, it won't be enough. Do you know how I know? Because they just spent $2.2 trillion, and it's not enough. The president was asked by a reporter, because these reporters are constantly pushing this Democrat agenda. Might you do a stimulus with more direct payments? He said it's under serious or strong consideration. It's a very short Hop, skip, and jump from this to universal income. As a logical matter and as a practical matter. If you're going to be there to pay for an individual that has some kind of hardship, because that apparently is the position now of both parties, then you're going to be there, period. We have Republicans and Democrats talking about Taxpayer-funded family leave. We have Republicans and Democrats talking about 
Making people whole. Well, then what's the point? What's the point of even having states? I'm, I'm, I'm quite serious. Now, there are disasters that are like these viruses that are medical in nature, and then there's disasters that are economic in nature. And you know what's interesting? More people have died from economic disasters than medical disasters. You know, well, what about the bubonic plague that killed three-fourths of Europe? So, really? What about Adolf Hitler? What about Stalin? What about Mao? I can go on and on. You want to look at ancient times? What about the Romans? Before them, the Persians. What about Genghis Khan? I'm telling you. That more people have died from bad political slash economic decisions than from plagues. Than from plagues. The worst thing that could happen to this country is we have massive inflation. That could lead to deflation, by the way. And I don't want to keep saying, you heard it here first, you heard it here first. It won't matter. It won't matter. Because inflation affects everybody. Not just a small percentage of the population, not just 1% of the population. It affects 100% of the population. And it's an enormous task to get it under control, if you can. And inflation has destroyed societies. Complete societies. Germany after World War I. In the 1970s. Spent years trying to control inflation. And people paid a severe price for it. So why do it now? Why ignore the history? Why ignore economics? You're not going to make people better. You're going to have highways and tunnels built. These are projects that take a very long time. After you just spent $2.2 trillion. And by the way, there's nothing to back up this $2.2 trillion. Any more than there's anything to back up the $22 trillion in fiscal operating debt, which is now, by the way, $27 trillion as a result of the last two months. And when you take in unfunded liabilities, it's a quarter of a, I don't even know what a trillion, what's after a trillion, a zillion? All right, a quarter of a zillion dollars. A zillion! Does that make sense to you? No, it makes no sense. And then we have the Financial Times editorial board calling for Radical reforms, basic income and wealth taxes in the pandemic. This is what happens. You lose your liberty. You lose your property. You lose your money. Not just one-third of the country. That would be bad enough. But all the country. Tyranny is like water. It finds the cracks. It finds the holes. Tyranny is like water. Now, there's an excellent piece today in Real Clear Politics by Bill Bennett and Seth Liebson, two good friends of mine, and Dr. Bennett will be on the program at the bottom of the hour. And this says something that you may not want to hear. But the truth can sometimes be 
Tough. Says, as you know, the coronavirus, if you catch it and get very sick, is a terrible thing to go through, and you might even die. The virus and the fear of it are sorely testing our medical capacity in some places. The body count will get much worse this week, right before Easter. The heroic efforts and sacrifice of many doctors, nurses, volunteers, civilians are all notable and praiseworthy. Millions of Americans are pulling together. We all know this. But do you know the odds of any American getting this virus? One would think the numbers easily known are available. It's not. A lot of digging into various municipal data portals reveals, based on the population tested, that the rates can vary from at most eight-tenths of a percent in New York City to two one-hundredths of a percent in Phoenix. Did you know the chances of recovery from the coronavirus are about 98% if you catch it? Did you know there are models showing 50% of the population may already have had it, but never knew it and recovered? Again, one would think this data would be widely available and reported. It isn't. What is presented widely are numbers and warnings that scare and frighten us. We're now being conditioned to a lot of panic and speculation. But part of the reason we're getting conditioned to a lot of panic is because of the wide range of speculation about other numbers. We accept as our new fright-inducing reality an increasingly confusing and frenzied set of numbers. And Bennett and Lefson go on. And the normalization of our panic is having dire consequences and augurs for even worse. Our officials and media warned us of 2 million deaths in the United States, then 200,000 deaths, then 100,000 to 240,000. This needs to stop. There have been a total of 68,000 coronavirus deaths worldwide. And we're told we will see, just in America, three to four times that number. Does that even pass the plausibility test? Is it too much to ask for some perspective with numbers we do know about? Numbers which have never shut down our economy, much less a church or synagogue, much less entire industries. Numbers which have never restricted travel or put this nation into one big frenzy. Now, of course, we know, I'm commenting as a footnote, that certain illnesses are different than others. This virus is, it's a contagion. In other words, people can catch it one from the other. But even assuming that, even assuming that, in any given month in America, he says, they say, we lose 54,000 Americans to heart disease in a month, 50,000 to cancer in a month, 14,000 to asthma, bronchitis, and emphysema, 12,000 to stroke, 10,000 to Alzheimer's, 7,000 to diabetes, 5,600 to overdoses, 4,700 to influenza and pneumonia. In February, in America, coronavirus, 9,500. Where is the sympathy for the victims and families of those other causes of death? You don't see it on TV. You don't see it in the media. Where's the daily mortality count? The blazing headlines, the upending of the country. We hear almost nothing about them. Those deaths give us 157,000 deaths a month. Given all that's being done about one cause of death, COVID-19, it turns out this is a very advantaged disease, they write. And we will in time develop a vaccine for it, not to mention more and more good news coming in the short term about treatments from other accident medicines like hydroxychloroquine. But there's more. 
with all the chirons and death and disease counts. Has anyone tried to search for the average age of the death toll from this pathogen? It's very hard to do, though we are told the virus more uh, malevolency affects those over 65 and is worth with each year of age. Why do you think this point, this fact, is not everywhere available? Could it be there is an investment and interest in scaring us, he says? Or they say, you can find some stories with state and local data, but it isn't interesting. The general data is not available. Our best analysis shows in New York City, 70% of the deaths are those over the age of 65. Almost all deaths across all age groups come with underlying conditions. New York has a serious problem, requires great effort and attention. But the fact that the virus is having its way there doesn't mean that it's making its way everywhere and anywhere. States with even greater population, like California and Texas, are showing death rates 90% lower than New York. States like Iowa and Minnesota have low numbers too, but Iowa is not in the lockdown, and Minnesota is. More when I return. I'll be right back. Mark in. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I just wish they'd expand the uh, task force, even ever so slightly. I've made my suggestions for what they're worth. Watching all these doctors, listening to all these institutes and so forth, I just think it would provide a breadth and depth of additional information that could be very, very useful to the vice president and the president, but I can't force anybody to do anything. I don't think that's provocative. Again, it's not because you lose trust in anybody. It's just because people bring different skill sets and expertise and um, I think that might do fairly well in terms of uh, providing additional knowledge and information do you wish that double chin would just disappear newsflash ladies and gentlemen people look at your jawline simply tells your age now here's Robin from Lubbock Texas I put Genesol jawline cream on my neck two or three days ago this is the best my neck has looked in 20 years and people told me my face looks young, and I'm blown away. With Chaminade's MDL technology, Genesel's brand new jawline treatment specifically targets the delicate skin on the neck area for tight, healthy, younger-looking skin. You'll see your mirror smile back at you, or 100% of your money back with no questions asked, or Genesel's brand new jawline treatment absolutely risk-free and get a second month for a half price. And for results in 12 hours or less, Genesel immediate effects is yours also free. Order online for an extra $30 discount, but that's online orders only. That's Genesel.com, Genesel.com. 
or call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Always give them my name, by the way. Genesel.com or 800-SKIN-604. I strongly recommend it. I'll be right back. Scheduled to appear, one of the gentlemen who co-wrote that piece, Dr. Bill Benton. We'll be right back. So lately, I've been on a mission to change the way people view their finances and to encourage people to overcome obstacles and adversity. It's just more and more important to me every day. So I've teamed up with the folks at Life Surge. Life Surge is a one-day faith-based event where you'll walk in hungry for success and you'll leave ready to build your resources to leave an impact on others. We're talking faith-fueled finance, growing resources, crushing obstacles, and then, yeah, using it all for something way bigger than yourself. I'll be joining Life Surge in Cincinnati on Saturday, August 3rd. Joining me in Cincinnati is Nick Vujicic, the man with no arms or legs that speaks about his trials and triumphs. Soul surfer and author Bethany Hamilton, Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson, and author and pastor Craig Groeschel, star of CNBC's The Prophet, Marcus Lemonis, and Bethel Music. That's Life Surge, Cincinnati, on Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets are on sale exclusively at lifesurge.com. I hope to see you there. Making sure the land of the free and the home of the brave stays that way. Dial Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. Bill Bennett, how are you, my friend? Hey, Mark, how you doing? Okay, so you wrote this piece with uh, Seth Libson, and uh, your piece is basically saying... You know, we have a lot of death out there that happens because of a lot of these horrific illnesses. Uh, This is one of them, this virus. And yet the reporting on this and the intention of this is much different than these other ailments that cause a whole lot more death. Explain yourself. Yeah, well, we get about 157,000 deaths uh, a month if you add up cancer, heart disease, uh, opioid. uh, And, you know, I've worked that area a lot. Uh, and, um, and and other causes of death. Um, we're looking at about 10,000, 11,000 now from this. I'm not saying don't take it seriously, but don't take it to the point where it causes a panic, uh, which is what uh, which is what has happened. Uh, I do uh, care a lot about uh, maybe some of the concerns that people have who have some of these other very serious afflictions uh, and may not be getting the attention. Everybody talks about elective surgery has been put off as if elective surgery were all, you know, plastic surgery or cosmetic. It's not. You know, most uh, elective surgery is um, is to relieve pain, serious pain. So there's that. But my main concern is that we're not focusing on the facts. We're focusing on stirring people up in the media uh, and getting them to panic. When if you look at the numbers, that's really all Seth and I are trying to do is look at the numbers. If you live in America, the chances of getting this virus are one in a hundred. If you get the virus, if you get the virus, if you're one in 100, the odds that you will survive it are better than 98%. That should not be causing panic. That should be causing concern. Hats off to all the people in all the hospitals, the nurses, the doctors. But this is no cause for panic. And there are other problems. Uh, I'm concerned about what the federal government's doing. uh, And I'm concerned about what's happening to this economy while it's at rest. It can't be at rest for very long. Let's let's uh, deal with a few of these points. I think they're very, very important. So what the response will be is, yes, but this is different because 
it's aggressive. And if we didn't mitigate, more people would die than are dying now. Isn't the answer to that, well, now, wait a minute. Now that we have a little bit more data, because the data's been all over the place, but now that we have a little bit more data, let's take those populations, and maybe they should stay at home for a longer period of time. Or these cities, maybe they should get more of a focus. Why are we doing this at a with a broad stroke from sea to shining sea? Yeah, as we say, disaggregate the data. Um, as the suggestion that uh, uh, Dr. Katz at Yale has proposed, he said instead of this horizontal interdiction, which is just you know the broad sweep, everybody, what you just said, Mark, uh, vertical uh, interdiction. So take people who are over sixty-five. Uh, over 70 with, uh, you know, with uh, underlying uh, conditions. Uh, take the people who test positive. Third, take the people who are symptomatic, who haven't yet had a test. Keep them at home and gradually start, in fact, pretty soon start to bring the other people, healthy people, young people, back to work, uh, back to work, uh, back to, you know, their places of employment. Uh, this is not a no-cost solution. That is a huge cost, uh, not, not just to the economy. It's to people's lives. Remember what happens when, uh, when people don't go to work and they stay at home. There are a lot of other problems. I don't have to list them. Uh, everybody, everybody knows. And a lot of the American people are starting to get a little stir-crazy. But I'm all for a, attention to this, uh, to this malady. I've heard from several doctors today who, uh, who read the piece. A lot of agreement, by the way, which you wouldn't think by watching the news. Uh, a lot of agreement with what we, uh, what we were saying. But they said, well, we don't know quite yet about this one. Well, we are finding out about it, and we are starting to bend that curve. So, you know, let's disaggregate the data. Um, let's keep the people who are most at risk, uh, you know, in, in shelter uh, at home. Uh, and let's get the country back started again. My, my, one of my real worries is that if you keep the economy at rest, at stopped the way it is, for too long, you don't get it back again. I'm not expert on that. The economics people uh, I'm talking to uh, who are. Uh, say that could very well be the case. And then I am worried about the precedent, Mark. Two trillion, four trillion, six oh, trillion. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you know uh, Dr. Bennett, if the economy collapses, the hospitals collapse with it, doesn't it? Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. Sure, yeah, that's right. And the ventilators and everything else. This false choice of, you know, when you're choosing the economy and money over life. No, you're choosing life. Uh, because jobs are people's livelihoods, and it is this economic engine uh, which buys those ventilators, which pays for those things, which pays those salaries, which builds those hospitals. If you just want to do body count, my guess is you extend this thing another two months, you will have a much larger body count uh, with a shutdown economy and people cooped up at home, uh, getting back into opioids, alcoholism, suicide, everything else that happens in this kind of thing. Uh, more than uh, what we're going to see. By the way, but, the numbers, Mark, uh, on this virus have been adjusted so many times. We're talking. About I agree. Million, yes. Two hundred thousand. Now maybe a yeah. hundred thousand. Yeah. I predict it's going to be less than a hundred thousand. No, I think you're right, and it's going to be less than one percent of the population that gets it too. Um, yes, sir. Here's the other thing that you've touched on here, but I want to elaborate a little bit. Healthcare outcomes for non-virus individuals with serious diseases, with cancer, with heart disease, with diabetes. If you're focused so thoroughly and heavily on this virus, a lot of people, first of all, they can't afford if they lose their jobs to get medical attention, go into emergency rooms and so forth. Secondly, if the body politic is so focused on this, then something has to give, doesn't it? 
Yeah, sure. Something has to give. Uh, you you got to figure out where you put your energies and your time and your attention, and the hospitals have to do this too. And let me tell you one thing that uh, comes into play here, very important, uh, that interferes with both attention to those things you're talking about and uh, the coronavirus, and that is panic. Uh, every doctor I've talked to has said one of the reasons the hospitals are so crowded uh, and in such terrible state is people are hearing all this on the news, on TV all the time, and they're rushing into the emergency room, into the hospital, whenever they have a cold. Uh, and this is crowding things uh, and uh, making it uh, impossible to get the people who need the help for coronavirus or anything else uh, from getting it. But, yes, you have to make these decisions. You know, I heard about somebody just the other day with a collapsed lung. It's a pretty serious thing. Well, oh, yeah. wait another month. Wait another two months. You know, you know about heart conditions. I know about cancer. Um, you know, these are serious matters that need to be attended to. Very serious matters. And all of us, you reach a certain age where you need to see a doctor for a few things that can get worse. I'm there. You're there. Uh, yeah. And everybody's holding off on this. And where are the studies that say you hold off on this a long time? These stuff, the, these issues will reveal themselves 6, 12, 18 months down the road in the healthcare system. That's right. And we don't know what that's going to look like. But I that's want to take I you up that. on this economic stuff because this, this yeah, is yeah. imperiling the nation. Yeah, $2.2 trillion. <clears throat> They're talking about another $2 trillion on top for infrastructure, for God's sakes. The President of the United States saying maybe in response to a question, and you know, we love the President, you and I, but the President of the United States in response to more direct payments, he's saying, yeah, we're looking at that very, very seriously. Dr. Bennett, where's this money coming from? coming from us, uh, and um, we may run out, uh, you know, the, uh, the, golden, uh, the golden goose here, uh, we may run out. So it's coming from us, uh, and it's not an endless pot, and the way we regenerate that pot uh, is uh, with work uh, and people doing their jobs. And I like to say livelihoods, just to remind people that's what we're talking about. It's not just jobs, it's livelihoods. This is where people get their pride, their self-respect. This is how they take their, use their time. Uh, and this is how we grow this economy. So uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's coming from us, and there's not an unlimited supply. So we need to be very careful about this. I think in the next two weeks, three weeks, we should start doing this. Start, again, disaggregate the data. Uh, hold up a little bit there on the next $2 trillion. Good grief. Never thought I'd hear that kind of number. Um, and, uh, and, again, get people back to work who can because um, – it can be it can be too late before too long, and then then we're all uh, we're not going to be in the hospital. We're going to just be alone. What what is the number after a trillion? Is it a zillion? I don't even know what it is anymore. I can't keep. Yeah. I I think it is. Believe it or not, uh, we're getting into goofy stuff now. Yeah, yeah, Scrooge McDuck. I think actually. <laughs> not goofy. No, right. <laughs> uh, here, and here here's the other thing that concerns me. There's a great piece today written by Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review, and he said, um, because you're not really encouraging people to go in on these so-called, you know, sort of uh, option operations and other things, other doctors and nurses are being laid off. In other words, everybody doesn't deal with viruses, and everybody's not in the ICU, and everybody's not in the emergency room. And so what's happening now, you have cardiologists, you have, you have practicing nurses, you they're, they're, they're leaving, they're being shut down, or their practices are closing. Has yeah, an effect. No, exactly right. No, exactly right. Uh, this is the price of specialization, right, which is a great thing. Uh, you know, you get specialists for everything. 
but then some people are so specialized, they can't be of any particular help here. Uh, now, we say all hands on deck, but it's really not true, all hands on deck. Uh, and um, that's another problem, that's for sure. We have not seen the problems yet uh, that have been caused by, and again, I want to come back to it, not attention to this, attention should be paid, but to the panic, to the notion that this is all-consuming and this disease will destroy the country. It will not. But we can destroy ourselves. Yes, we can. Yeah, and our reaction to it. This is what the president keeps saying. See, I think his instincts are right. Uh, I know that a lot of people whispering in his ear, Steve Mnuchin and others, but uh, I think his instincts are right. He's impatient to get the country back to going back. Uh, and um, I hope he indulges those, uh, those, those good viscera that he's got uh, into action and policy. No, I agree with you 100%. All right, be well, my friend, and I appreciate you. Yeah. You take care of yourself. After all that, we'd be well, right? That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, man. Well, you and I, we like our steaks, don't we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, if they ever allow yeah. us to get together again, we might get one. Or two. That day will come. I'll see you at the Palm in two years. Okay. All right. Yeah, right. I'm kidding. God, right. God, God bless. All right. Thank you. Bill Bennett, brilliant man. It was a brilliant piece. But we're not supposed to talk about this stuff. It's a brilliant piece I was mentioning in Conservative Review. See, I do something a little differently than most hosts. They will steal what other people write and then regurgitate it. I don't play that game. I do my own independent thinking. But if somebody writes something in a way that I like the way they put the numbers together and I like the way they make an argument, I give them the credit. And we'll revisit this uh, Horowitz piece uh, after the break. But before, during such a turbulent period, it's critical to pay attention to your financial health. Very critical. Now, what can you do today to guarantee a healthy financial future? This is a big deal. If you're a homeowner, the solution may be as simple as a mortgage refinance. And I know just the people to help you. It's a family-run business, American financing, completely trustworthy. Their mortgage consultants will customize a loan to meet your needs. Now, what does that mean? Maybe it's a shorter term, a lower rate, or accessing cash you need. They can do all that and more. It's a no-pressure operation, no obligation, no upfront or hidden fees either. These are good people, or I wouldn't allow them on this program. They're family-owned, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and they've been helping people just like you for 20 years. So they can save you perhaps a couple hundred dollars a month, up to $1,000 maybe a month, or make some cash available uh, through your equity at these incredibly low interest rates. So give them a call today for a free mortgage review. Just see how much you can save. You may even be able to postpone two mortgage payments right about now. Call 888-900-1828. That's 888-900-1828. Or online at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.
You know, it's shocking that your home can be stolen this easily. Deborah learned that brutal lesson when thieves found the title to her home online. Then they forged the document to appear that she sold her home, but she hadn't, of course. Then they borrowed thousands using her home equity. And this is a bigger problem now than ever before. People are desperate, and there's a lot of activity on the Internet. And Deborah didn't know she was a victim until foreclosure notices arrived and an eviction notice. And she spent a fortune trying to get her home back. The crime is home title fraud. And the FBI calls it one of the fastest growing crimes. And my advice for avoiding a possible nightmare is to follow my lead and protect your home with home title lock. And no, neither your homeowner's insurance nor bank protects you. For pennies a day, home title lock does. First things first, find out if you're already a victim of home title fraud. Register your home at HomeTitleLock.com. Enter Mark for one month of free protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock. Enter Mark for one month of free protection. HomeTitleLock. Enter Mark. You know, ladies and gentlemen, here's the thing. You know, as a matter of fact, I keep talking about the denominator. I've been using this example now really for, what, two months? You know that the denominator of people who have the coronavirus is far more than the 356,000 who've tested positive for it. Because they've done about 1.8 million tests. So now let me play with statistics. And they're not correct, but I'm going to do my model like the rest of them do. That's 1.8 million. Let's multiply that by 20 times. By 20 times. So that would mean over 6 million people, closer to 7 million people, actually have the coronavirus. Again, there are real defects in this, and I'm just playing along with the way they do this. 10,500 of whom so far have died. You are going to find, when this is all said and done, despite all the vicious ignoramuses on the left from National Pubic Radio to ProPubica and other phony news outlets, you're going to find that the death rate will be under 1%. So when they throw around and give the president the number 1.5 to 2.1 million would have died if there was no mitigation, there was never going to be, let me do my double negative, no mitigation. That just is not the way the world works. You'd mitigate in your own life, states would mitigate, towns would mitigate, your doctor, your hospital would mitigate, so that was never going to be the case. But I think the doctors are putting out that number, the experts, so that when it's all said and done, they could say, well, it would have been 2.1 million, but it was only, say, 73,114. Success. And maybe that is a success, if you don't destroy the economy. But this idea that infrastructure somehow has some relationship to this is so absurd on its face. And this idea that they're not printing money, my one little disagreement with, the, with Dr. Bennett, my good friend Bill, is the money's not coming from us. It's coming from future generations. They're going to have to shoulder all of this. And then what happens when times are tough for them? You cannot deficit spend your way into prosperity. And we're talking about mega-deficit spending, ladies and gentlemen. MAGA, if you will. 
But none, none of what I'm saying is registering. There's nothing I, I can't get through past Mnuchin and the others who are advising. I just can't get there. Navarro, the others who really don't believe in the market system. I can't get there. There's nothing I can do. When I'm on TV, I mention it. Wherever I am, I mention it. But I can't get through. I don't mean if I call the president, I can't get through. I said I can't get through to the body politic. This has to stop. Create the damn jobs. Open up big chunks of the economy. I've been leading this charge. And you know who else has been? Charlie Kirk, to his good credit. He's been terrific. Brilliant young man. Now we have others who agree, and that's important. But if we don't open chunks of the economy, and there can still be mitigation. Look, folks, you're going out to the grocery store, the pharmacies, going to places you see they're mitigating. We'll give these other businesses a chance to see if they can come up with some kind of mitigation. And in parts of the country where there's no disease, let them act. Let them conduct themselves as they normally would. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, kind of leaking out through the British press that Boris Johnson is in critical condition. Absolutely shocking. So that is the bite of this disease. And a lot of people know people who've gotten this sick and, of who, and some of whom have passed away. Um, you know, I have to be honest with you. When I watch these press conferences and I see the president up there and the vice president up there, I worry about them. The president is meeting so many people. And at these press conferences, and I'm quite serious about that. You notice the reporters who keep asking about, you know, why is there a national dictate of sorts that people need to wear masks? Notice they're not wearing masks. John Carl, ABC News, the CNN phone, none of them are wearing masks. Why aren't they wearing masks? To protect the president, right? Shouldn't they wear masks? So I'll be the first one to state that the White House press corps should be wearing masks when they go to these press events with the president. And these press events go on a long time. It's not a hit, and off he goes. And they should be wearing masks, just like they expect the rest of us to do. And I noticed Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks aren't wearing masks either, shouldn't they? I'm, is this a... A rude question? Just to ensure the president is protected and the vice president is protected. I mean, these are our constitutional officers. So I would like to suggest that the press corps wear masks 
This isn't to be comical. I'm not interested in that. That the press corps wear masks. And these doctors who are constantly with the president and the vice president, they wear masks too. Because I don't know who they're meeting with. I'm sure they have a significant bureaucracy. They're modelers and they're this and they're that. You know, the NIH infectious, infectious disease unit and so that's a big unit. I mean, I don't understand the logic here. The President of the United States is in a room with these people, and they're not wearing masks. Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks are pushing the masks, and they're not wearing masks. The President's up there and says, you know, you can wear masks, it's voluntary, they suggest you do, but I'm not. So he's consistent. I actually do. I worry when I see the president up there, when I see he's working so hard, he's talking to so many people, he's meeting with so many people. It makes me very, very nervous. Meanwhile, here's the AP story I talked about in the first hour. Just listen to the first sentence. After the first alarm sounded in early January that an outbreak of a novel coronavirus in China might ignite a global pandemic the Trump administration squandered nearly two months that could have been used to bolster the federal stockpile of critically needed medical supplies and equipment. This is so outrageous and such a friggin' lie. Early January? What is it that Dr. Fauci told us on January 22nd and repeated it on January 26th? What is it that he said in a news interview on Newsmax and then four days later in a podcast interview by Castamedes. What is it that he said? This is going to be like a bad flu. Americans don't have to worry. But the president, according to the Associated Depressed, earlier than that, early January, should have been all hands on deck. Follow the science, they tell the president. Apparently he was following the science, but it wasn't good enough. Which is exactly why I've been focused in on these models and the data. It goes on. By that time, mid-March, hospitals in several states were treating thousands of infected patients without adequate equipment and were pleading for shipments from the strategic national stockpile. No, by mid-November, they weren't depleted. They had ventilators. They had a hustle for masks, but they had masks. They had beds. Everybody's talking about this APEX, which is supposed to be coming this week and next week. That's what they were yelling for. Masks, yes, but I'm told by a very, very good source that the hospitals are almost always short masks. And here's the President of the United States. He's supposed to know hospitals need masks. When it is fundamentally, unequivocally, the responsibility of the hospitals, of the towns, and of the state to make sure they have masks. Not the President of the United States. I even checked the Constitution on this, ladies and gentlemen. They're worried about the national stockpile. Where were the national, the national stockpile, the N95 masks? What happened to that? Obama depleted it, and he never replaced it. Obama's name is nowhere in here. It's not in here that Cuomo chose not to get more ventilators, but instead invested your state dollars, New York, in solar panels. It's not in here. That governor after governor over a 20-year period in New York slashed hospital beds from 77,000 to about 55,000. That's not in here. Why? Can you imagine early January the President of the United States, not, not Fauci, not Congress, 
which is still focused on John Bolton and having more witnesses for another month of a coup trial. Can you imagine the president of the United States getting up there on his own saying, hey, look, we need more ventilators, we need more beds, we need more masks, we need more of this. Say, what the hell is he talking about? They're still screwing around with the data. They still need more information to have conclusive uh, uh, decision-making. But in early January, the president blew it, you know. Now, this is the kind of crap I'm talking about. And then, of course, you have morons like Brian Stelter. Basically, he is a, a thigh rash on the body politic. Who use it? Prepubescent Brian Stelter, who used information like this for his no-rated, not-watched Sunday show, which mediaite over there, Dan Abrams' creation, loves to repeat. They love this clown, Brian Stelter, and they love bulbous-nosed, deliverance-looking Joe Biden. They love him as he broadcasts from Florida. AP, you're a disgrace, associated to press, but then again, all of them are a disgrace. This is the lowest point you can imagine. I guarantee you the press, when they had the Spanish flu, didn't treat uh, Woodrow Wilson this way. I can guarantee it. I, they, this is a war, they said. It needs to be treated as a war. No president's been treated like this during the course of a war. None. Do they act like it's a war, the media? Do they act like they're affected at all? Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the way they conduct themselves, do they act like this is a serious matter? No, they act like it's politics like as usual. So here's the Daniel Horowitz piece in Conservative Review. How many people will die because state governments are issuing erratic orders to suspend vital medical procedures? Call it common core science being dictated by common core math of the erratic models and simulations from doctors Fauci and Burks. Oh, not allowed to be critical. Ah. Most medical care is shut down in the country to deal with the flow of COVID-19 patients predicted by their models. Then when those models fail to materialize and hospitals are empty from the mythical surge outside of a few hot spots, medical personnel are furloughed, and we are left with the worst of both worlds. We're told by our new dictators, he writes, that destroying the entire country from head to toe is worth it in order to save lives of those afflicted with the virus, mainly in the New York City area, he writes. He's in the Baltimore area. That's where he lives. But what if, in addition to the destroyed jobs and economy and all the lives being lost as an indirect result of the virus, we're also directly destroying lives of other health care patients who cannot get care because of the overbroad and arbitrary shutdown? In nearly every state, elective so-called medical care has been shut down. Now, that might make sense in New York City, where you want to marshal your medical resources to combat the virus. But in most other parts of the country, not only are they not overrun with patients, but thanks to the government's circular logic of shutting down other medical care, they have no patients and are now furloughing staff. At a time when we need to build up our medical personnel, we're actually cutting them in addition to keeping many Americans in pain. Says I have a relative in Cleveland, Ohio, who needs a hip replacement and is in tremendous pain. Thanks to Governor Mike DeWine's arbitrary order, such a procedure is deemed non-essential, and he must suffer in pain even though there's plenty of room at the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospital Systems. Other Cleveland hospitals are already furloughing staff. Oh, 
and he can't get enough pain medication because of the state's other arbitrary edict of cutting off pain medication while allowing sanctuary cities, which are hubs for illicit drug trafficking, to continue to thrive. In 2017, liberals estimated that between 28,000 and nearly 100,000 people a year would die if Republicans partially repealed Obamacare. The rationale was the Republicans would cause many people to be denied critical care, which would eventually lead to death. Obviously, their vision of socialized medicine equaling health care access is convoluted, but their broader principle was actually correct. If people are denied basic preventive care, it will lead to more fatalities, which is why so much of Obamacare was focused on preventive care. So the question is, why don't leaders like Dr. Anthony Fauci recognize this principle when it comes to gratuitously shutting down nearly all medical care, aside from virus treatment, even in areas without a surge of coronavirus illnesses and hospitalizations? For a man who's so fond of, of simulations and projections, has he calculated how many people will die from a lack of medical care as a result of the unconditional shutdown he so passionately advocates? Moreover, has he simulated how many critical medical personnel will be lost as a result of shutting down their livelihood? Last week, Boston Medical Center announced it was furloughing 700 employees, 10% of its workforce, after Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear ordered the suspension of so-called elective surgeries. Appalachian Regional Healthcare, the largest hospital chain in Kentucky, laid off 500 employees. Let's see, nurses are being laid off in Pennsylvania and in other states even though they are critical to intubating COVID-19 patients. Hundreds of healthcare workers in Huntington, West Virginia were laid off, even though there are barely any virus patients in the state's hospital system. Family practice physicians and specialists are seeing their practices disintegrate. According to a Health Landscape and American Academy of Family Physicians report, 60,000 family practices will close or significantly scale back and 800,000 of their employees will be laid off by June. That's roughly 43% of the workforce nationwide in family medical practices. Remember how subways can remain open with thousands of people cramming into rail cars, but small offices must close. Now also last week, the U.S. Navy deployed the USNS Comfort and the USNS Mercy in New York City and Los Angeles, respectively, to deal with what the doomsday crowd was predicting as a hospital bed shortage. They have a combined staff of 1,800 medical personnel and 1,000 beds that have all been pulled away from treating other illnesses. Yet only 15 individuals have been treated so far in the Mercy outside of L.A., just three on the Comfort, even though it's in New York City. And now the governor has asked that these coronavirus patients be treated by the Comfort. So now now they're going to move people out of their main hospitals onto the boat. And speaking of the military, my former colleague, Jordan Chantel, obtained a video of a VA hospital in Waco, Texas, which is not accepting veteran patients and is instead telling them to call in their concerns via telephone. They must be slammed with the virus, right? Wrong. The hospital is empty. It's empty. It's becoming clear that we cannot simply rely on the misguidance from federal officials and the capricious and arbitrary edicts of governors put in place under murky circumstances two or three weeks ago. 
It's time to reassess the definition of elective medical care and to recalibrate our entire response to this virus. Otherwise, more people will die in the long run because of the cessation of medical care. State legislatures must reconvene and rein in these lawless edicts. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness are still God-given rights and must be protected now more than ever. What he's getting at, what Dr. Bennett's getting at, what I've been getting at is, and you don't have to agree with every particular here, centralized, broad-based decision-making, which views the entire country as New York City or the potential for New York City, is not science. And to use the data that way, which is what Sean Davis pointed out on The Federalist, taking the New York City, northern uh, northern, uh, New Jersey statistics and applying them nationwide, is not serious science. Science is this. This is a horrible virus. We have data that shows people over a certain age are more vulnerable. People over a certain morbidities are much more vulnerable. And there's certain parts of the country that have many more cases. So you take that science, you take that information, and you apply it not to Kansas, not to Idaho, and so forth and so on, but you apply it to the areas that are similar and where these things are going on. You protect the elderly. You protect people with certain morbidities. You protect certain geographic areas. But you don't have to close down a pediatric practice in Lawrence, Kansas. I'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. I want to reiterate something said a few weeks ago. You want to encourage, even beyond the patriotism, and there's a lot of it, in our pharmaceutical companies. I, by the way, I don't hear them attacking pharmaceutical companies anymore, do you? Never. I don't hear them attacking them anymore. Why is that? Now they're our friends. Johnson & Johnson, which produces a lot of things, including pharmaceuticals, Roche, Abbott Laboratory, wow, they're coming up with all kinds of stuff. And they're not even ripping us off. This is what I've told you for years. For years. My view is this. You want to focus on science? Then you give every ability for the private sector to come up with therapies and a vaccine. And that means not just moving regulations out of the way. And notice, that's what we have to do. Regulations that should never have been in place, we now have to push them out of the way. 
but you give an incentive. A national competition. The first company that comes up with an effective vaccine that can be used widely throughout the population. Ten years, no federal corporate income taxes. You don't have to pay them all this stuff all the time. Think out of the box. Why are we, I mean, deficit spend, deficit spend, deficit spend. Same with therapies. Companies that come up with therapies that can be used in the short term while the vaccination issue is being dealt with. Ten years. No federal corporate income tax. It's no skin off our nose, ladies and gentlemen. Beat spending trillions and trillions of dollars. And we don't just need a economic growth or revitalization task force. We need people on that task force who are going to consult, particularly with retailers, restaurateurs, hotels, and all the rest, to figure out how to open them. We don't need think tank types. No, 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 no. And we don't need Wall Street, Goldman Sachs types. We need men and women who actually know what they're doing. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. of sanity in an insane world. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Chip Roy is a dear friend of mine. He's a congressman. I think it's the 21st district in Texas. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. He is deeply concerned about some of the economic activity that Congress is involved in. And he's deeply concerned that so much of the country is shut down. And I wanted to bring him on to discuss it. Chip Roy, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for uh, everything you do, and thanks for being a voice for sanity right now when we need it. Uh, America needs to work. That's what makes America great. America's great when we're working, and, and we've got to get back to work as soon as we can. By the way, it's the 21st, right? Yes, sir. You got it. All right. Um, here's the thing. The media and the critics of the president seem to think that the only way to defeat the virus is to burn down the country. Uh, That seems a little drastic to me. Uh, We're rational human beings. Again, there's areas of the country that are largely unaffected. There's populations that are heavily affected and populations unaffected pretty much. Or they get the virus and get through it relatively easily. But at least they're not facing death as opposed to other people. The data is in. 
Uh, on the other hand, uh, when we have these broad brush policies that shut down businesses all across the country. And by the way, Chip Roy, it's not Trump doing this. It's these governors doing this. Um, he hasn't shut down a single business. He doesn't even have the power, I don't believe, to do it. It creates enormous problems. So what do we do about this? Well, we, first of all, we do exactly what you're doing. We've got to keep having a conversation about how important it is to get our economy started. Now, I'm getting tired of these people who say, oh, you're just choosing 401Ks over people's lives. It's like, well, first of all, I can tell you the 401K matters a lot to my parents for the little bit they need to be able to retire on. But more importantly, an economy is about lives. Jobs equals lives. Putting food on the table is someone's life. I always thought I get you know entertained or really frankly ticked off at these local county judges and mayors and these little tin pot dictators that are making decisions about people's lives when they they declare what is and is not an essential business. Because you know what, an essential, any business is essential to its owner and the employees that work there. Every single one of them, and they're going around saying, "Well, it's okay for you to have the you know supermarket down the street running because all of us need to have our food at home." But they're going to decide that. Certain businesses have to shut down or that cleaning, uh, you know, maids can't go into houses and do their job. And then all the, you know, central planners effectively are deciding how we live our lives. You know, I got into it with a Dallas County judge this last uh, week where he was out there saying that, you know, attention, other non-essential businesses, you aren't complying. Don't be next. Attention, everyone, report violators at Dallas County. And I tweeted at him. I said, well, uh, Mr. County Judge, sir, I can only assume that you and the good people of Dallas County are going to pay all these people back for taking their livelihoods in what effectively amounts to a regulatory taking. Because I'm sure he's not going to rely on the federal government to bail him out. But this is what we're dealing with, Mark. And so we've got to all highlight it and point out that this is irrational uh, undermining of our ability to take care of ourselves and, and have our livelihoods to uh, take care of our families. And Chip Roy, the end of January, we were being told by Dr. Fauci that this would be the equivalent of a bad flu, that the American people don't have to worry about it. Now we're told there would have been 1.5 to 2.1 million dead, but for mitigation, uh, if we didn't have any mitigation. Now, I don't know about you, Chip Roy, but I don't need the federal government ordering me to do the right thing if I know doing the wrong thing is going to make me ill. My doctors know this, states know this, uh, hospitals know this. In other words, the idea that we see thousands and thousands of people dying and nobody's going to mitigate is ridiculous. So they throw these numbers out. Then they throw out 100,000 to 240,000 the other day. Like my my neck hurt. I got such whiplash. Then we go one day, it's going to be the worst ever, to the next day, it's flattening out. Can we at least admit the science isn't perfect with respect to looking at the data and that the science, if you follow the science... Really, it gets a little bit complicated, not because the science per se, at least the public aspect of it is complicated, but because the models are, 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 are confounding in many respects. No, you're exactly right. I mean, we, like, we saw a lot of the modeling today actually had a lot of data demonstrating how the numbers are a lot less than people were projecting. Uh, but, but, but here's what drives me nuts is I see these people and friends of ours, friends of yours and mine on the right even, who will say, well, look, this is all because we've been reacting and we've been doing all of the social distancing and, and that this is why all the numbers are, are looking good. Now, hold on a second. Okay, there might be some truth to that. I'm not saying don't socially distance. I've been out there on Twitter telling people to, you know, separate, do all the right thing. You have to. We all want to make sure we get through this. We have loved ones we care for. My dad is 77 and a polio survivor. My mom is 71 and has some lung issues occasionally. I want them to be sequestered. We're trying to help make sure they do that. But going out and screaming to the American people that 2 million people are going to die 
and you wonder why everybody's retreating from their economic activity, you wonder why we have 10 million jobless, you wonder why we're going to have people now that are going to be facing, no doubt, suicide. You know, 2 million people, are going to, yeah. let's think about this, Chip Roy. The latest numbers, and it's their numbers, certainly not mine, deaths worldwide are over 70,000. Right. You're telling me 2 million people were going to die in the United States when 70,000 so far, according to their own stats, have died around the world? And that, that doesn't even compute, does it? Well, and this is the thing, like, like none of us, you know, I'm looking at, you know, uh, Boris over in the UK, and we're looking at people that, you know, are getting hit by this, and it, clearly it has some bad elements to it, and we're I'll all, say. we, we want to make sure people are okay, but, but to, to sit here and scare the world with numbers that make no sense, where you're taking these, they're not even models, they're just fingers in the air, and they're throwing them out there, and they're causing the American people to freak out and panic, instead of going through this logically, you said it. Allowing us to use our own judgment for the most part to make rational decisions. Do I want to go to a barber right now and have him be like right in front of me cutting my hair? Yeah, no. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe I don't want to be sitting next to somebody in the middle row on an airplane. But maybe I would choose to separate every other seat on an airplane. Or maybe I would choose to. How about this, Chip Roy? Why don't we ask these business people what they would do to mitigate? I'll give you an example. You go to a grocery store lately, I have. Yep. They're mitigating. Yep. You go to a gas station, they're mitigating. You go to a pharmacy, they're mitigating. In other words, there's a lot of businesses, particularly small businesses, that can do this. They have the, uh, the acrylic, not acrylic, the plastic uh, shields between the cashiers and the, and, the, uh, and, the, and the customers. They have gloves and masks. They have uh, the hand uh, sanitizer. I mean, they're yep. doing all kinds of things. So why, why not give other businesses the opportunity? And more than that. Why are governors shutting down businesses in states that barely even have this virus? Well, I'm glad to see that there's a number of governors who haven't. There's a number of locals. There was, there was a main I believe there's eight. Today. There's eight. You're right. And there was a main sheriff today who basically told the main governor to pound sand. He's not going to go around and, uh, you know, check people when they're driving around the state of Maine. And we need more of that. We need more rational human beings who are going to step back and say, no, this isn't a police state. This isn't Nazi Germany. This isn't Russia. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is have common sense discussions about what you can do to make things better. Now, now let's slow down. On the other hand, Chip Roy, if you happen to live in the epicenter of one of these, these, one of these epicenters, you stay home. You right. conduct yourself quite differently. Uh, if you're an elderly person, you conduct yourself quite differently. If you're a person with one of these morbid... I can never say this. These these morbidities, yeah. you you conduct yourself differently. Yeah. But if but if well, you're not, uh, and you're not in these epicenter areas, well, you conduct yourself differently. Well, right. And even if you, as you know, and some of your listeners know, I'm a cancer survivor. I had to take yes. the last of shots to build my white blood cell counts and, and make sure I was careful to not be around people and get sick. Uh, when I was dealing with it, you know, my, as I said, my daddy, 77, he's a polio survivor, even in Texas, where we're not in the epicenter. I'm still encouraging them to stay removed as much as possible. You know, we, we're rational human beings. We want to stay alive. So we will make good decisions. But what we're doing is we're confounding it by making it more complex and scaring the American people. And look, the real consequences on our economy. I mean, I'm having a conversation tomorrow with 50 oil and gas producers in, in Midland and Central Texas and down in Houston who they are getting hammered, Mark, absolutely hammered because of what we're doing with the economy. Every single day I talk to restaurateurs in Central Texas, hoteliers, guys that run barbershops, others, they're dying. 
and these loan programs and this $2 trillion bill, you're not going to go get loans to go try to restart your, your job to hire people when they can get more money from unemployment insurance because no. of the program from Washington. No, now listen. Saying, oh, how, how, why are you lending money to a company that's not permitted to work? To people well, who, who aren't going to – here, I have a question for you, Chip Roy. It's not a trick question. What's the number of asymptomatic cases on this virus in the United States? Do we know? Yeah, no, we have no idea. We have no idea whatsoever, do we? No, we don't. We, we don't even have enough to make projections, do we? No, we do not. We, we've taken 1.8 million tests now. We still don't have enough to make projections. And, um, and so when you do a nationwide uh, – or how, how about this? You have colleagues in the opposite party – that are demanding the nationalization of industries, that are demanding national stay-at-home rules, that are demanding a dictator when they complain that Trump was a dictator, when Donald Trump is trying to work within the constitutional boundaries, and you have governors doing all this stuff. No, that, that's exactly right. They don't even understand how the system works, and it, it's the irony, right, where they run around saying how he, they called him a dictator. Now they want him to act like one. It's never good enough. But at the end of the day, right now, our hope – I mean, look, I was talking to businesses, mortgage bankers today, talking to, uh, uh, to folks at the Hospital Association. You're right, furloughed you know, healthcare workers. We need – we've got a few weeks. I, I, I slow down a People don't understand healthcare workers are being furloughed. No, it, it's extraordinary. And you know what else they don't understand? The federal government in that last bill – nationalize the private capital markets. Four and a half trillion dollars. That's the entire capital. That's more than the capital markets. That's more than mortgage companies loan out every year. Well, and here's the thing, and what people don't understand is that right now we have a few weeks, I think, based on everybody I'm talking to. I mean, I'm talking to some of the smartest business people in the world right here in Texas. We've been leading the world's economy for, for, for years now, who is telling me we've got a matter of weeks to get this thing restarted, or they're going to start having serious uh, problems being able to get to the point of being able to ever restart. Because once you start cranking it down, right, it's like you turn your car off and you put a cover on it and stick it in the barn, right? We're not talking about just keeping it idling. That's the problem is people don't understand the depth of the economic harm if we don't turn and get around this bend and get this thing going really quickly. And I think that's what the American people need to understand for our livelihoods, our kids, our grandkids. We've got to save this republic by making sure we get everything started again. You know, I like the way Bill Bennett put it the second hour on this program. He said it's called a livelihood for a reason. Yes. And that's the thing when people – that's what I said before about the 401ks. Oh, you're saying you've got to start – look, this, your job is your life. That is what – that's how you pay for your food, your well-being, how you care for your parents, your kids, your, your spouse. And, and we've taken that away from people. I mean, Mark, you and I both know it may or may not be a legal taking under the Constitution. It could be arguably, but you've got government stepping in and taking away your livelihood, taking away your right to be able to at least go try to go out and make a living. And so that's part of the concern here is about how government now responds to that, to now get out of the way, let people do what they need to do, encourage people to go back to work, and All right. figure out how to get some capital in some reasonable this, way. This is what the president's up against. Look at the Daily Mail. Yep. Quote, difficult decisions ahead. Donald Trump raises the prospect of lifting the lockdown, knowing people will get infected because we can't go on like this and the cure cannot be worse than the disease. What they're saying is, as a result of that, Donald Trump is going to be killing people. Now, it's interesting uh, that they say that when you read now 
an enormous amount of information about people, quote-unquote, elective surgery. We talked about this last hour on this program. You know, elective surgery doesn't mean you don't need the surgery. Elective surgery means, you know, you can put it off a couple of weeks maybe or a right. day or two or so forth. It means you're not in the ICU unit and so forth and so on. But for a lot of people, elective surgery, if they don't get that surgery, they're going to die at some point. And maybe some point sooner than most. So the problem is you're going to have all kinds of uh, ailments as a result of this in some respects. Uh, people putting off. Uh, you're going to have, and, they, and the, the Lancet Institute did a whole thing on this, when you have a major recession, the number of uh, depression and suicides, people can't cope a lot of times when things so horrific happen to them economically. So this is not, an, uh, uh, this is not everybody mitigate and then we'll get through this. It's everybody mitigate and we're going to create a lot of other problems too. Well, I'm glad you mentioned One that. minute. I wrote a piece in Fox News over the weekend talking about that, about how I think, like you, the president needs some other advisors advising him in this task force because he needs to get some more perspectives than just doctors, you know, Burks and Fauci just sort of coming in on high saying how things need to be. And, and after the Great Recession a decade ago, they showed that 10,000 suicides were increased as a direct result of that in Europe and North America. And you go through all the data points of the impact of a negative economic situation on people's health and well-being. And we're running around and ignoring that and that part of what needs to be done. All right. America's Chip, Chip I got to go. Chip. Yes, sir. If people want to help you and support you, you're running against a very nasty person, the former uh, woman who ran for what, lieutenant governor? Yeah, she ran for governor against Governor Abbott in 2014. She got beat badly. What's her name again? Wendy what? Wendy Wendy Davis, yeah. Oh, my God, what a radical. If people want to help you, where do they go? Quickly. Chiproy.com, Chiproy.com. I could use the help to make sure that we, uh, you know, put a, send a conservative back to D.C. instead of that radical leftist, Wendy Davis. And you're a crucial, crucial freshman. Take care of yourself. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Remember the neutron bomb? Maybe some of you are too young to remember. This was a bomb that would kill people but leave the structures, the buildings standing. Have you ever heard of that, Mr. Producer? You're a young guy. That was a weapon that was developed. And the left got so upset about it. No, you can't do that. Atomic bombs, that's one thing. But a neutron bomb? Anyway, when you look at the streets of some of our major cities, New York City, Washington, D.C., New Orleans, parts of Los Angeles, 
Looks like they were hit by a neutron bomb. The buildings are there. Telephone lines are there. But the people are missing. No society can withstand that for long. Rather than building new roads and overpasses and highways and airports, what do you say we take the ones we already have and populate them again, folks? We salute all you heroes out there. From the grocery clerks, to the truck drivers, to the doctors, to the military and the police. God bless each and every one of you. See you right here tomorrow. Be safe. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 